you're tuned in to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to medical and industry experts who will be sharing their thoughts on the evolving trends of AI Digital Pathology and its role in finding effective treatments for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also known as NASH. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello and good day to all our listeners. Welcome back to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. This will be part four of our special episode where we will look deeper into the role of artificial intelligence, digital pathology in NASH drug development. Let's welcome back our guests, expert hepatologist, Professor Stephen Harrison, Medical Director of Pinnacle Clinical Research in San Antonio, Texas, USA. Professor Vlad Ratzio, Professor of Hepatology at the Sorbonne University and PTSL Petrie Hospital in Paris, France. And our thought leaders from the pharmaceutical industry, Dr. Judith Ertel, Senior Clinical Program Lead in NASH at Böhringer Ingelheim. Dr. Karin Kondenap, Senior Vice President of Global Drug Development and Discovery at Novo Nordisk. I have to say that one of our guests from the previous podcast episode, Kitty Yale, Executive Vice President and Chief Development Officer at Akero Therapeutics, is unable to join us today for this particular session due to prior commitments and she will join again in one of the future podcasts. So let's begin part four of our podcast with more questions that we receive from pharma companies and clinical investigators. Here is question one to our panel. What further validation of the AI digital pathology approach will be needed to gain acceptance by hepatologists, pharma companies, and regulators is a new method to be used routinely in clinical practice and or in clinical trials. And there are a list of points that will help to address the question. Firstly, what would be necessary to confirm the reproducibility of the fibrosis quantitation? Secondly, the minimum size or area of liver tissue to be analyzed. Thirdly, the prioritization of key parameters like Q-fibrosis or collagen fiber measures. And importantly, the question is how much difference in AI digital pathology parameters in paired biopsy before and after intervention is needed to make this clinically relevant? So this is a long question and there are sub-questions that I outlined. If necessary, I can repeat that. But I would like to start with the clinical hepatologist first and perhaps with Professor Ratio, Vlad, would you like to give your views on this question, please? Thank you, Nikolai. Um, there are several issues to be discussed. And first, I think we all need to keep in mind the fact that whether you do traditional reading or digital AI-based reading, you still have to rely on the issue of sampling variability. And some, sometimes this can be a real problem in terms of assessing the, the true state of the liver, as we all know. So this reservation needs to be kept in mind. 
it is very interesting that you separated the question by asking what would be needed for implementation in clinical practice versus clinical trials, because those are two very different questions indeed. And uh, I think it, it is important to think about clinical practice as well. I, I believe that in clinical practice, the way our hospitals are operating now, and I think it'll be for a long time, the pathologist will still be at the center stage. The best we can hope is that in some instances, the pathologists, particularly those that are not very, I would say, expert or very well trained in this high level uh, Nash field, might use the artificial intelligence uh, as a tool, uh, as an aid for diagnosis. And that could help. Uh, that could sometimes um, help have a better, more robust diagnosis or, or a more definitive interpretation of the lesions. But we should give additional thought to that. But I think the, the role played by this will be minor. It might be more important in, in centers that are not highly expert in NASH, in tertiary care centers like mine, like the one of Professor Harrison, that would, would probably be uh, more of a, of a limited uh, occurrence. Now, for clinical trials, though, I think the pickup can be, can be quite rapid as, as long as all the regulatory aspects are being um, uh, are, are, are being observed and the requirements fulfilled for qualification of this type of tools, I think it will be very, very fast, uh, either as a, as a full-time primary method of reading or as, a, again, as an, as an adjunct uh, in case there is discordance between readers. Um, and I think that would be a, a dramatic enhancement of the efficacy of the clinical trials. What would be needed for that, I think, all, all the other panelists will discuss that. I think it all starts with very robust data where uh, the, the quantity of data that is being given for, to the machine learning process has to be consequential, has to be very high volume data. And then it is important, I believe, that all the, the machine learning algorithms that are being uh, developed by, by, the, by the program are being cross-validated or, or back-validated by the pathologists themselves. We can't let the machine go loose. We have to control whether what the machine did makes sense or not. Uh, and um, I think I would stop here and maybe develop later based on based on what other people have said and what they have inspired me. Thank you a lot. We can come back to you again. And I'd like to turn now to Professor Harrison. No, Nikolai, those are those are complicated questions with uh, unclear answers. Unfortunately, I, I don't think we have we don't fully understand the magnitude of AI digital pathology, what it can bring to the table. We we certainly realize its value and what it can do to advance our pathologist understanding of what they're seeing on a, on a slide. But I I think it does need further validation not only in understanding the components of the NAFLD activity score, particularly ballooning degeneration, but also fibrosis. And, and what I mean by that is when we begin to look at uh, therapeutic efficacy of drugs and we use AI digital pathology to help interpret the results, we need to really begin to understand what magnitude of effect change really equates to you know, an outcome measure. And so there's further validation that's needed there, much like we know that, say, for instance, 
when we use MR elastography that a one kilopascal change actually leads to a certain percentage change in decompensation or prevention of decompensation for fully quantitative assessment, what percentage of regression, let's say in fibrosis, equates to, to a change in outcome measures? That's one thing. And then when we begin to look at something specifically like ballooning degeneration, one thing we've learned with uh, semi-quantitative read is that it's uh, it's a blunt instrument, right? So so the FDA and the EMA say for Nash resolution, we have to go from ballooning presence to ballooning absence to identify resolution of Nash. And the reason why that is, is because there hasn't been a fully quantitative way to assess ballooning and its regression and its link to fibrosis and fibrosis regression, and that equating to outcome measures over time. So one of the things we've debated with AI digital pathology is, what if you go from a lot of ballooning to a little ballooning or lots of clusters of balloon hepatocytes to independent, you know, individual balloon cells? Does, does that equate to an outcome measure? Because I think as we begin to fully understand the power of digital pathology from a fully quantitative assessment, we can broaden our aperture of what change really means and how that links to outcomes. But we just need more data to help us get to that point. Thank you, Stephen. So I'd like to turn now to the thought leaders from pharma industry, and I'll start with Dr. Judith Ertel. So Judith, what would be your comments on this question? Thank you, Nikolai. So I want to part, uh, divide it up. So I think for clinical practice, the pathology is not playing a big role now. So at least outside the tertiary care, and I don't really see it to be much implemented in the clinical care in, in the future. So hopefully we find non-invasive biomarkers. But until we do that, I think for clinical trials, I'm a bit more optimistic than Vlad and, and Stephen, because where I, for example, see it having a great value is, for example, in phase two trials, where we have a smaller sample size, where we have where we want to see in, in which direction it goes. And I think to really get away from the categorical assessment of the histology, and I'm not saying that we should exclude the pathologist, but to have an additional quantitative assessment where we then can also see between the treatment groups or treatment arms with the placebo, whether there is a mean change, mean reduction in the fibrosis or a less increase in quantitative fibrosis measurement. I think that would be very helpful for pharma industry to further plan their clinical development, especially in the phase three. So for me, that is quite important. What I would hope regarding especially how much tissue is needed. So we know that it should be at least two centimeters. It should have at least a couple of portal fields, at least three. But especially if you if you use shooters, you might not have the two centimeters. So maybe we can even go with a, a bit less adequate, but that has to be seen. That has to be qualified uh, and quantified by the AI pathologist. Um, that might be something where we hopefully get maybe better data. And in regards of what kind of differences would we want to see before and after intervention, 
I think that is having a quantitative assessment where you can see smaller changes in either direction would already help us very much. How much that has to be, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. So let's go to Dr. Karin Kondenap. And Karin, what would be your comments on, on this uh, important and difficult, admittedly difficult question? Yes, and, and I'm happy to hear that uh, my colleagues don't have the answer because it's not that I have a different uh, different one. But what I do believe is quite important, and I refer to this um, a bit in the previous um, uh, podcast that we have, it is also, uh, the ultimate uh, uh, answer would be how does this correlate with an endpoint? And, uh, and for me, I would turn around the question a little bit and is how can we all together in the field, uh, together with academia and industry, help generate the data that is necessary to help us understand better really these differences? Because as Judith is alluding to, you know, anything that will help us indicate that there is a change. And then how do we relate that change to, to the outcome will be quite uh, important. And um, and I think the, the, the more data that we are able to generate in terms of not only the specific readouts, but also, you know, the different ways of looking at them, inflammation for as an example, right? If we are looking at the number of infiltrated cells versus the foci versus the location, is that telling us a different picture at the end of the day when you're comparing baseline versus versus the end? So I think there are many intricacies that could be uh, present here that we just need to paint the picture to help us understand outcome. And then also keeping in mind that at the end of the day, the uh, AI pathology is very likely not going to be used in isolation. And then also how can we have additional parameters integrated in the analysis to to be able to tell a better a better story of what is happening in the with the patient, not only in the progression of the disease but also after treatment. Thank you, Karin, and thank you all for uh, covering this uh, complex question in all its uh, details. So, moving on to our next question, the foundation of accelerated approval based on traditional liver histology as a surrogate endpoint was that fibrosis improvement by more than one stage and or NASH resolution using the CRN uh, scoring system are reasonably likely to predict clinical benefit. Is it feasible to test the same association for AI digital pathology readout with clinical outcomes? And in what settings would this be applicable so that we can move to new quantitative endpoints in future clinical trials? So I'd like to put this question first to Professor Ratio. Vlad, would you like to be the first to answer that question? Yes, that brings us to the issue of what exactly we're discussing. What are the outputs of digital pathology? If the definition of these outcomes, histological outcomes using clinical trials is, is very clear cut, Nash resolution is what it is and fibrosis improvement by one stage simply means you need to stage fibrosis and then see whether there is reversal. In that sense, digital pathology could very quickly replace traditional pathological reading only in as much as they read the same thing. So if they read the same thing, in, but it's just a, a difference in terms of how is it processed through the human eye or through an automated reading, that should not be a problem as soon as you have shown 
that the automated reading is very closely correlated to the machine reading, then I think you're fine. Uh, you're describing the same type of lesion, just using a different lens. As far as I understand it, I don't think that creates a big problem. However, now, if you're looking at different parameters than those traditionally assessed by histology, if you're looking at this Q-fib, for instance, or at, at the Q-ballooning, if you're trying to describe either fibrosis or a suffering ballooned necrotic cell in a different way than traditional pathology, by using all these other parameters that histoindex is developing, then it's more much more complex because you first need, as said earlier, I think Stephen mentioned that you first need to understand how much of these new parameters are correlated with the traditional sign and uh, how much of a change is relevant. So that would take longer. But as you frame the question, if it's only looking at fibrosis reversal or NASH resolution using the same way to assess them as in traditional histological reading, that should be straightforward. But that's already a very big deal because by an automated reading, you all of a sudden eliminate the inter-reader, the intra-reader, all types of reader variabilities because the machine that never gets tired, that's never on strike, it is operating. So you get an objective reading and a reproducibility of the machine, and then you only depend on sampling variability for the meaningfulness of your results. So that should be the low-hanging fruit. Thank you a lot. And one, one aspect of this question was also in what settings, what clinical populations would be appropriate to test the potential association between AI digital pathology readouts with the clinical outcomes so that they could be implemented into future quantitative endpoints? The best setting is always a clinical trial because it's very well designed. Everybody gets the same treatment at the same time. They're all followed very closely and uh, in a systematic way, so you don't uh, miss events. So that would be the best, the best way to do it. Notwithstanding that the, if you want to have this outside clinical trials, you'll have to go to retrospective series. People are not always able to pull out their biopsies. Those biopsies are not necessarily fit for reading uh, because they have been already stained. I mean, reading for AI. So that creates a lot of limitations. So the, the clinical trials would be best. But, you know, you, you have to set priorities and i think you don't have to look too far ahead but the most important first step would be just in the interim to be able to establish the equivalence with liver biopsy that would be a huge step thank you so i'd like to turn now to um, professor stephen harrison steve what would be your comments to this question i agree completely with vlad you know i think the clinical trial setting is the best way to evaluate this moving forward it's all the variables are controlled for, and you have semi-quantitative dual or triple reads uh, by pathologist, and there's, there's an easy way to overlay the fully quantitative AI digital pathology assessment. Amongst clinical trials, maybe I'll be a little provocative and say that there's been a bit of a separation in drug development in NASH that's been accentuated in the past 24 months, maybe even more recently since COVID, and that is breaking trials into F2, F3, and serotic trials. And I think that there is a unique opportunity now to slingshot drug development for cirrhosis very rapidly forward and potentially even 
usurping kind of a non-serotic trial for drug development. And so with that in mind, I think there is a real opportunity for AI digital pathology to partner in these serotic trials and actually link to an outcome measure much more quickly than you would in an F2-3 typical, you know, subpart H approvable endpoint type study. So it's a little provocative, but I think that gives us that unique opportunity to look at what potentially histoindex has, for instance, relative to, to Q fibrosis and even Q septa, and link that to an outcome measure, but also tying it to semi-quantitative improvement in fibrosis. I think that once we have that data, it becomes easier to translate that down to a, a very standard F2-3 population. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, I'd like to ask Judith now, what would be your comment, Judith, on this question and your views? Yeah. First of all, I think we have to remind that the accelerated approval is based on the histology as it's assumed that it predicts the clinical outcome, which we don't know yet. So that has to be proven first. And then that might be where we have to also um, correlate it to, to biopsy. I think uh, it would be best if the digital pathology doesn't correlate itself to the biopsy because we know that the um, AROC is about uh, 0.8, so it will never be better than that. And also the digital learning is fed by human pathologists. So the question is really, can it be directly linked to clinical outcomes? And for that, the clinical trials are ongoing and hopefully they are maybe afterwards read the um, AI pathology. But I think we still are lacking a lot of data. So I don't really see that, that that will be really approved for um, yeah, as a surrogate endpoint or a surrogate of the surrogate for the biopsy. Stephen, go ahead. I was just going to say, while I agree with Judith, mostly with what she's saying, there is data out now. It's more of a post hoc analysis from the Regenerate trial that Arun Sanyal spearheaded and presented at AASLD. But if you look at that data, it's been evaluated from the viewpoint of where there was histopathologic improvement in fibrosis, there was an impact on outcome measures. Now, that data is forthcoming uh, in a publication, but it's our first shot at showing that improvement of fibrosis in a clinical trial setting correlates to an outcome measure. So I think that that body of evidence will continue to grow, but it's there already. No, absolutely. I agree. There will be data coming, but I actually loved when uh, Vlad always challenges the regulators when he asks, so what happens if the first study comes out and shows the correlation? Do we get rid of conditional approval and it's accepted as full approval? Or what happens if the next trial shows that some of the patients who might have been con considered as stable by the categorical assessment and they improve now, but we are still seeing the same progression rate. So because we are looking at improving, but want to correlate it to the to the progression. That is where I see is a is a problem with the conditional approval. That we are saying if you improve, that that means that we um, slow down progression. And that is not fully established. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. And then I'll move to uh, Karin. Karin, what would be your comments 
Yeah, so maybe a couple of, uh, of additions. Um, on the one hand, I think that what we are seeing are some examples that when we are utilizing AI pathology, you are able to distinguish differences, again, that are not uh, uh, maybe available through the naked eye. Now, the key question still comes back to if um, if we were able to see these differences and in a phase two trial, for example, is that really giving us more confidence in order for us to progress into the phase three and how is that going to uh, translate? But then coming uh, coming back to the point of the, the population and as, as Stephen has alluded to, the phase, the phase four and the cirrhotic patients, I do think that it's, it's indeed an opportunity to really look at that data. Uh, if these patients are progressing faster into the into an outcome, and uh, and we are able to generate this information, will be really significant um, of, of significant value. Um, if we are able to really link and make the correlation of a par particular percent difference based on AI pathology versus the regular pathology versus what we have today uh, on the one stage of fibrosis, that will, I think time, time will tell. Uh, but I do believe that we do have the means to do it now. And it's a matter of uh, seeing how can, uh, as I mentioned before, how all together, right, by putting our data at the table may help contribute to these key questions down the road. Thank you, Karin, and thank you all for uh, your comments. Let's move on to our next question. At the recent podcast with three expert pathologists, they all welcomed the use of AI digital pathology and they stressed that it should be uh, working hand in hand with the pathologist. So how, in your view, how do you visualize the workflow that integrates a real-time AI aiding tool in clinical trials? And there are two aspects of this question. Firstly, from clinical hepatologist, investigator point of view, and on the other hand, from pharma perspective on its place in drug development. Now, I'd like to change the order now and start first with Judith. So if you could comment, Judith, please, on from pharma perspective and the place of clinical trials and drug development, how do you visualize the workflow that integrates real-time AI digital pathology, please. Well, thank you. So I think currently it will go in parallel. So we will, we still have to have the real pathologist reading it also for eligibility and for the treatment response, because that is what is required by the regulatory authorities. And we as pharma industry want to make sure that the data we generate is accepted by the regulatory authorities. So that has to be implemented. I think for, if we would start a trial tomorrow, so the real pathologist is the, really, the one making the decision and the digital pathology would be an add-on to gain more data, to maybe get more granularity on the data we receive. That would be for now, but I hope for the future that we could really get the AI reading only. Yeah, that would be actually my, my preference and then have um, a QC reading by the real pathologist. And that can be in the beginning 100% QC reading or then a 10% QC reading to see that that really matches what it is. 
So, and I totally agree with what Vlad said. So, have it more in time uh, or less time. So we know the pathologists are doing a great job, but still, if we could read it locally, so or scan it locally and send it by a portal, so that you have it on the next day instead of three to ten days okay. or something like that, that would improve the screening period uh, immensely and and everything. So I think. There is um, a lot of potential upcoming, but we are not yet there. Thank, Thank you. you. And um, how about uh, uh, Stephen? What would be your comments on to this question, please? Thanks, Nikolai. I think this is this is we're right on the cutting edge of making some pretty significant changes in how we're going to read out late stage phase twos and phase three trials and. Very pragmatically, you have to think about this from a screening window perspective. So most of our trials have an eight to 12 week screening window. And what we know is the longer the screening window, the greater the chance of inertia developing and these people uh, opting out of continuing in trials, the coordinators becoming less enthusiastic, the TIs becoming less enthusiastic. We know that the shorter the time window for screening, the greater the probability that patients will continue to enroll in the trials and that enthusiasm for the study will, will remain high. So to that end, one of the biggest uh, time sucks, if you will, for screening windows is the time from the liver biopsy, the tissue leaving the body until it coming back uh, from the pathologist with a read of you're either in the trial or you, or you don't qualify for the trial. And so with that in mind, as we begin to incorporate fully quantitative assessment of the NASH features and fibrosis, it needs to not delay that screening window. So once we, as we begin to paint a picture of what this looks like, in my mind, it looks something like this. You do the liver biopsy. The biopsy tissue gets embedded in paraffin and cut locally because most sites want to retain hold of the block and then that tissue gets sent forward directly to a pathology group not to a cro who then has to send it out for staining and such like that but it gets sent straight to a pathology group at that point it gets stained and then you have it digitized right there that digital slide then gets sent to a group of pathologists, two, maybe three, and they do their independent read. At the same time, uh, the, the, the fully quantitative uh, assessment gets done. And then, as the pathologist is reading the slide, coming alongside the read is a fully quantitative assessment. So it augments the pathologist's read. It's not an add-on feature that happens later. It's right there paired with the pathologist so that when the pathologist is making a read, whether it's for baseline assessment or for an end-of-treatment assessment, there is a fully quantitative piece that they're looking at as well. Now, it doesn't supplant the semi-quantitative read. That still is present. That still is there for the FDA approvable endpoint but it augments the read. And the theory behind that is that it'll minimize placebo response. It'll standardize what you're seeing from different doses of drug. It'll minimize inter and intra-observer variability. 
So that's the next step until potentially fully quantitative assessment can replace semi-quantitative. But I think that's still a bit of ways into the future. But there's no reason why we can't implement with technology today this streamlined process of taking liver tissue, sending it straight to a path lab, and then having it digitized, stained, and or semi-quantitative and fully quantitative assessment being done simultaneously and still getting your turnaround in less than 10 to 14 days. It's doable, but it does take some thought up front at the start of a trial to make that happen. Thank you, Stephen. I would like to turn now to Vlad. Vlad, what would be your comments and views on this question about how you visualize a workflow that integrates real-time AI aiding into clinical trials? Yeah, so uh, of course the pathologists uh, have a lot of goodwill and they say they will accommodate very well uh, help from an AI perspective. In real practice, we have to see, and I don't know how to answer that, you have to look at other disciplines than hepatology and see whether AI has made its way through everyday clinical pathological assessment. Uh, maybe in terms of oncology, they have made maybe looking at some biomarkers of tumors they did. If they haven't, then it is to be expected that it's not that easy and straightforward, despite the, the, the enthusiasm pathologists show for AI. Now, in a clinical trial, it's different because all this is imposed by a, a mode of operation by the sponsor uh, with the agreement of the regulatory agency, so there's not much choice there. So, yeah, what Stephen described is probably, I haven't given it a lot of thought myself, but it's probably something that can be implemented. When he described the process, I was just thinking that a very simple but tremendous progress can be done if you simply are able everywhere to digitize those slides as soon as they are cut and stained or unstained, because that will avoid shipping the slides all over, making additional cuts, receiving a negative result just because the cuts weren't well done and because there's no longer enough, no more enough material to have nice good fragments despite your local reading, which was okay. So that could, could lower tremendously the screen failure rate uh, on, just from the pathological grounds. Now the question for people who develop artificial intelligence methods such as histo index is, are they able to do their full assessment with a, the um, confocal microscopy and the biorefringence uh, and the laser system on digitized slides, probably not. They would have, they would need the physical slides to do that, uh, which means that you still have to do additional cuts and send them away. So um, that unfortunately creates a problem here, but uh, this is something that needs to be determined. Anyway, I think as soon as the uh, agencies approve these AI methods, first for automated reading and maybe hopefully later for some additional parameters, they will be very easily imp implemented and uh, the pathologists and the clinical trial people will have to deal with it. I don't see this as a major problem. What could happen, and I would finish here, is that the machine does the first reading and then the pathologists take a look at the, the results and, and look at some outliers and some results that are, that are not quite plausible and then have a second expert look at that in order to confirm or not what the machine has said. So I see more of a, of a supervising role from the pathologist side and the machine doing the, the main reading. Uh, 
but yeah, we need to give more thought on, uh, on this and we need to know exactly what type of AI we're talking about in these clinical trials. Thank you, Vlad. You already gave some very useful suggestions. And now I will turn to Karin. How do you visualize the workflow from the pharma perspective and its place in, in drug development, Karin? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in addition to what has been said, I I could see that uh, for sure for the, for the next uh, maybe two, three years, there is still a side-by-side uh, need here because the, the technology is improving. The more data needs to be generated, as, as we have been alluding to throughout the, the, the podcast. But also, I could, I could envision that um, it could be at a point where if we are able to introduce a few other um, stains, for example, that will start to pinpoint a bit more in, in terms of a specificity of um, of the, the, the population, for example, if we're talking about really inflammation and then maybe be a bit more targeted with what type of inflammation do we see uh, or what type of markers of fibrosis that we see specific to the, to the liver. That could be another way where, again, integrating not only the image that we have, uh, the assessment of the pathology, the pathologies, but also some other markers that we are currently utilizing in the in the algorithm of defining if a patient has the potential to have you know any stage of the disease. I think this could be another element where, in an integrative fashion, uh, this could be utilized. Maybe not so not in the so distant future as we start to build these packages and understanding in the in the phase two trials, for example. Thank you, Karin. Uh, we have reached the last question, which actually invites some forward-looking statements from, from our guests. How do you foresee the future of AI digital pathology in A, liver research, B, clinical practice, and C, in NASH drug development? So I would like to start with Stephen on this question. Stephen, what would be your forward-looking statement on that? Well, I, I would love to be the crystal ball here. What we all really want is we want to make an accurate assessment of underlying disease activity and stage. More than anything else, when we do a liver biopsy, we want to make sure that we're giving the patient the best possible information that we can. And what I can say today is that we have a major issue with that. You know, Vlad was one of the first people to publish data on paired liver biopsies done from different parts of the liver and, and linked it to a 40% disparate response. And overlaid on top of that is the whole notion of inter and intra-observer variability. And so many times in our clinical practice, we'll do a liver biopsy and it'll be called stage three and then subsequently another pathologist reads to stage four and, and we're in a conundrum. We don't know how to manage the patient because obviously treating a stage four clinically is much different than managing an F3 patient because of all the issues related to uh, cirrhosis and looking for varices and, and, and liver cancer and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure we can separate them out completely uh, research, clinical, and, and drug development trials. But what I would like to see is a much more consistent way of analyzing disease activity and, and fibrosis. And I think 
AI digital pathology has clearly shown so far an ability to be much more consistent in interpreting what stage of disease patients are in and what their disease activity looks like. So I think there is tremendous opportunity here, not only for research within NASH, but other liver diseases as well. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for clinical care in utilizing this pathway. And I think for sure there's a need and an opportunity in NASH clinical trials. We hopefully will trend eventually to non-invasive tests. We have a long way to go to get there. But I think this provides us that critical piece of information that we need to transition eventually to non-invasive testing. And, and, and that's where I see this opportunity, is taking us from semi-quantitative to fully quantitative understanding of the disease and then translating that to non-invasive tests. And, and that can happen at the clinical level and it can happen at the research level. Thank you, Stephen. I'd like to hand the crystal ball now to Judith and ask her to look at the crystal ball and give her uh, perspective. How do you foresee, Judith, the future of AI digital pathology in these three different settings or overall? Yeah, so if you are talking in liver research uh, regarding preclinical animal models, I'm not 100% sure that we really need it because the models are not really reflecting the histological picture we see in humans, especially if we are looking at ballooning. So that might be more difficult. And in the preclinical models, the collagen area is already assessed quantitatively. So I, I don't see it there. Regarding the clinical practice, um, what Flood said, yes, it could be used there, especially if it's not tertiary care. However, I don't think that the biopsy will be really implemented large scale in clinical practice. In regards to NASH drug development, I see a huge future for, for the AI pathology, as I hope and I think that it will give us a much more granular view and we might see better results in the phase two trials, can plan even better phase three trials, and hopefully also can predict the outcomes better with a more granular view. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. Uh, Vlad, what would be your comments to this question? Yeah, so I uh, have um, the same answer for two out of the three items, but to me, uh, the clinical uh, research Interestingly, I would think a bit differently for the preclinical models. Yes, models are not very good, but when you start looking at all these data that have been produced by different groups around the world, and I don't mean big R&D departments from the big pharma, but all the small groups that produce research on, on rodent models and so on, you'll be surprised to know that most of the time they don't even have a dedicated pathologist to read those slides, let alone a very expert one. So I think that if the AI starts looking into the, the animal liver, the rodent liver, which is a, a different story than the human liver, then it could be a, an interesting and important way to standardize what is being seen in preclinical models in terms of effect of different drugs. So we'll be able to have a much better assessment of, of changes, inflammation, the, the sort of balloon cells of the mouse, fibrosis and so on. And I would trust that much more than the the local pathologist, which sometimes doesn't even exist. So I think this, to me, that could be useful. In, in clinical practice, I agree 
maybe I'm too short-sighted. I think that that's a very limited role because in the end, people will use these algorithms and non-invasive markers to decide whether to put people on, on, on drugs or not, or simply uh, monitor. So the I think they will very easily move to non-invasive ones. So I don't think clinical practice would be very important, maybe except some exceptions, uh, difficult patients in tertiary care centers, maybe. In uh, terms of drug research and, uh, and uh, clinical trials, of course, tremendous progress, and that's what we've been discussing for the last two podcasts. So I see they're a very bright future, of course. Thank you a lot. And Karin, what would be your comments to this question? Yes, and, and I have to agree with uh, with Vlad here with respect to the preclinical potential. You know, we, we struggle because there are, you know, as many animal models as you can think of, and everybody has their preferred one. And the reality is, that yes, they are just uh, models, and uh, you know, one versus another could argue that it's closer or not to the human. So by having this uh, way of assessing this the liver tissue, I think would put us in a in a better situation just to be able to say, you know, do you have something here when it comes to a potential uh, drug uh, candidate? On the other hand, as I was alluding before, if there is the possibility to be a little bit more specific with the type of stainings that we do that could help us identify different type of patients or different type of inflammation drivers or just, you know, from a from a liver research perspective that would translate into drug development, I think that could be very helpful. But uh, that is probably, uh, you know, still far down the, down the future. And I think on the on the clinical uh, practice has already uh, been been said, right? So so I do think it is it is something that uh, from drug development is going to help us. And as I said before, it's going to help us gain more confidence in the smaller trials for us to be able to go into the bigger ones and commit uh, the big money uh, to to put into this. Thank you, Karin, and thank you all. Wonderful. This has indeed been very informative conversation on AI digital pathology with a multidisciplinary panel of guests who have contributed great insights to the strategic direction of NASH drug development and how to place AI digital pathology in this uh, space. Thank you very much for being our guest today and I hope that you have enjoyed this uh, conversation and uh, we have had that we have had in both parts of uh, this episode. Cynthia, before I hand the microphone back to you, I would like to thank the podcast team for the opportunity to participate in this uh, parts of the podcast. Uh, thank you to our listeners for your interest. I hope that the discussion and the views from our experts on the use of AI digital pathology gave you some new insights into its application, but also it stimulated some new ideas on future uh, development of this new methodology. I believe we are all convinced in the advantages of uh, the progress of AI digital pathology and what it can bring. It, it is, I certainly believe that getting more results with AI digital pathology uh, and continued discussion on its place will help our collective effort to improve the clinical trial endpoints and to bring effective therapies to patients with NASH. Definitely agree with your comments, Dr. Nomov. 
I hope you have enjoyed all of our podcast sessions and I must say that we make a great team in initiating some really important conversations on AI digital pathology and different perspectives of its role and potential in Nash drug development. So with that, we've come to the end of our podcast. On behalf of the Histo Index team, I would like to thank Dr. Nikolai Nomov, Senior Advisor for Clinical Research and Drug Development in Liver Diseases at Novartis, and also a huge thank you to our key opinion leaders in hepatology, Professor Stephen Harrison from Pinnacle Clinical Research and Professor Vlad Ratsu from Sorbonne University and PTA Salpetrier Hospital. And our thought leaders in NASH from the pharmaceutical industry, Dr. Judith Ertel from Bowringer Ingelheim and Dr. Corinne Condinat from Novo Nordisk. We are sorry that Ms. Kitty Yale from Acuro Therapeutics could not be with us today, but we certainly look forward to having Kitty and the rest of our guests again on our podcast. I'd also like to thank all of you listeners for your great support in sending in your questions for our guests and listening to our episode. We will be back soon with more podcasts with experts from the industry. If you have any suggestions or inquiries regarding our programming, please do send us a note to info at histoindex.com. Also, please stay tuned to www.histoindex.com or the Histoindex LinkedIn page for updates. You've been listening to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. Thank you for tuning in and have a nice day. Thank you.